Our text this morning, uh, our sermon text is from Psalm 23. It's printed for you in your bulletin, but uh, also would invite you to uh, join along as we look at this passage in your Bibles. Um, we're continuing our series in life in the body. Perhaps this is a little unusual uh, text uh, for this series, uh, but um, life in the body, a, a view of what it's like to be a part of the life of the church, and my assigned topic uh, today is safety. Uh, and before reading this passage, let me ask a little, excuse me, a little theologians to think about this. Uh, what does it mean to, to be safe? What does it look like to be secure? How might you picture someone caring for you? And one of the most familiar and used pictures that we have in the Bible of how God cares for us, how God watches over and protects us, how he keeps us safe is that of a shepherd. So perhaps you can draw a shepherd or a, a flock of animals that are being tended and cared for, or perhaps some of the things that uh, uh, a shepherd, a rancher might use to keep his herd, his flock safe. I'm not just talking about ancient uh, means uh, like a staff or a sling, uh, but perhaps jeeps or helicopters or, or weapons. I'm already thinking what kind of pictures is that going to produce? So if you would, uh, think about a shepherd and how a shepherd might keep his flock well. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord help us to hear and to heed this portion of his word. And may God grant us the grace as we find our safety and security in the great and good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to offer that care and safety and love to others. I, <laughs> I remember in Sunday school and all the other ways of viewing uh, this particular psalm and the picture of David as a shepherd in Psalm 23, we're 
The author of this psalm is pictured as this fresh-faced, rosy-cheeked, teenage shepherd boy out on the hills just beyond Bethlehem, singing to the Lord and watching over his flock with scarcely a care in the world. And that kind of view of Psalm 23 encourages a kind of nostalgic, wistful longing for the good old days, the way things used to be, those rustic days that were our experience in days past. But that view of this psalm, I believe, is almost entirely mistaken because the 23rd Psalm was not written by a a teenager in the comparative innocence of youth, nor was it written in order to invite us to think about the strange ways of sheep and the gentle ways of shepherds. I believe it was written by a man who apparently had been through periods of deep darkness. It was written by a man who was old enough to have sensed what it was to feel that enemies were lurking all about, seeking to devour him. It was written by a man who perhaps was much more accustomed to chaos than he was order and tranquility. That just sounds familiar. Plagues, political treachery, rivalry, civil unrest, hatred. This psalm was written not to give us a romantic and sentimental view with God, but a profoundly realistic view of life with God. It was written not in order to teach us about animal farming, but to teach us about biblical truth, biblical theology, the unveiling of God's truth from beginning to end. And that's what's behind this idea, I believe, of David saying, the Lord is my shepherd because this was not original to David. As a matter of fact, this psalm and this passage um, and other passages, Ezekiel 34 and, and John 10, where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, and many other passages, both in the Old and New Testament, that speak about our Lord as being our shepherd are all expositions, unfoldings, if you will, of the same biblical text that is found as far away as Genesis 48 in the first book of the Bible, where the patriarch Jacob is praying blessings upon his descendants, prayers that the Lord who had been his shepherd, the Lord who had been Jacob's shepherd, would be the shepherd of these grand boys that he was now seeking to bless, even Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And there's a very real sense in which the 23rd Psalm is simply David's exposition of that great truth that Jacob, his forefather, had discovered in the midst of his in the midst of his crooked, unwielding, unwelcomed in many ways, ways, in the midst of his rebellion to God, in the midst of the days when he sensed that uh, there were enemies coming in like a flood, he was able to say, particularly late in his journey and pilgrimage, may the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life, the one who has watched over me, the one who has cared for me, may that God prove to be the shepherd of those for whom I am now praying. And in the 23rd Psalm, I suggest David is simply taking up that prayer taking up that prayer of his spiritual ancestor and working it out in his own life and sharing with others how it was and why it was that he was able to echo that prayer and say, yes, yes indeed, Jacob's prayer has been answered in my life for the Lord has been my shepherd too. And I want us to notice briefly in the course of this great and familiar psalm why it is that David and you and I as members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, why David is able to say in the introduction of these wonderful words, indeed, it is true, the prayer has been answered, the Lord is my shepherd. And you'll notice in the course of these verses that David has a number of reasons for saying that this has been his experience. The first, the first is, he says, since the Lord is my shepherd, he will meet all my needs. This is the theme with which he begins in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Or more literally, I shall lack nothing. And it's very interesting that even here he is still, still as it were, David is, expounding the Old Testament Scripture. The very language that he uses was already used in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, in the promise of God, the shepherd of his people in the exodus from Egypt. The Lord had said, I will shepherd you and you will lack nothing. And David is saying here in this psalm that this great promise that God gives us is a promise that he has found embraced in his own life. It is true, since the Lord has been his shepherd, he would lack nothing. And of course, David is not saying to us, if only you guys had my kind of faith, you would believe this too. He isn't encouraging us to think, if only I had his faith, then life would be different for me. Then all of these things would be measured. Then uh, tranquility and peace would be my lot always. David is not pointing us to his faith. He's pointing us to his God and saying, it's not the greatness of my faith, 
because in all honesty, his faith had frequently been fragile and weak. But it was the sheer weight and volume of the goodness of God that poured over and out his spirit and made him say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never lack anything. And of course, that is why the shepherd picture is, is so appropriate. Because doubtless out of David's own experience as a shepherd, he, he knew why it was that the sheep of the good shepherd lacked nothing. It was because of the intimacy with which the shepherd knows his sheep and the wisdom with which he pastures and leads and provides for his sheep. I got a great picture of this when Boo and I were working in a little church while in seminary in St. Louis over uh, in southern Illinois. We would go over there on Sunday mornings, a little farming community, Waterloo, Illinois, and oftentimes the family would invite us back to their home for lunch before our youth group meeting uh, in the evening. And this fellow was a dairyman, fourth generation dairyman uh, who had a, a dairy herd. And oftentimes in the afternoon, we would do chores with him. And as we would do those chores with him, he would relate physical, <laughs> uh, physical markings, but names and characteristics of all these uh, milking cows that he was taking care of. And it's interesting. It's interesting to see how uh, and to read uh, how intimately, in this case, shepherds know their sheep. They know them, says Jesus, quite literally by name. They know their families. They know their pedigree. A good shepherd, it seems, almost knows the genetic structure and personality traits of, of his sheep. He recognizes them as individuals. He knows their faces, their distinguishing features. He knows their habits. And out of that wisdom, out of that experience he has in shepherding sheep, he is able to make sure that each one of his sheep will never lack anything. What a glorious comfort this was for David. It ought to be for us. What an amazing thing to be able to say about any and every situation in life and confusing and frustrating seasons of life. If it is true that as my shepherd, the Lord knows my need before I even ask him, then even the needs that I have are the very things that he knew I needed in order that I might find him as the supplier of my needs and find him the answer of all my prayers. That's why it seems so obvious to me that David's not writing as a youth, but as an older man who was able to look back upon his life and the strange maze of events 
that characterize his experience with God. And he's able to recognize that even when he couldn't understand what God was doing, his discernment was dim. God was meeting the very deepest needs that he had. And so he's able to say, yes, yes, old father Jacob, God is my shepherd too. I will not lack anything. But you notice he adds a second thing. Not only will I lack nothing, he says, since the Lord is my shepherd, he will restore me when I fall. He will restore me when I fall. It's true of the 23rd Psalm, isn't it? Uh, like the, the great uh, sort of Renaissance paintings that part of the beauty lies in the way in which both light and darkness are used in the same picture of how the light seems to sort of bring out the darkness and the darkness makes the light all the more exquisite. And you see this in Psalm 23. It's a psalm full of shadows. You notice this in verse 4 when he says, there are times when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Literally, times when I walk through the valley of deepest darkness. And he speaks again in verse 5, a different kind of shadow. You prepare a table before me. Even as I sit it, I see the shadows of my enemy as, as if the... Um, Along the wolf line, along the, the, the wood line, beyond the pasture, shadows are moving. Eyes are on the flock. And yet perhaps the most striking shadow to which he refers is the one he speaks of in verse 3 when he confesses about uh, the Lord. He restores my soul. I think David here is speaking about the shadow of the past. And if you look a couple of Psalms down to Psalm chapter or Psalm 25, you will notice what a deep and dark shadow that was on David's life. It was one that followed him, if you will. He says, for example, in Psalm 25, verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth, O Lord. In verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. You see, here's a man who's living in the light of God, in the grace of God, knowing his forgiveness, yet constantly aware that there's this shadow in his past. And of course, for David, that was twofold. It was it was in part the shadow of his past sin, how although he knew he had been forgiven, he would go back to the Lord and say, Lord, assure me, assure me of your grace and your forgiveness. It keeps coming up to me. I believe it was the old Scotsman Samuel Rutherford who said that the old ashes of his sins that had been forgiven, seemed to become at times a new fire of sorrow to him. And I think some of us know the meaning of those words exactly. 
Some of us know what it means to be followed, perhaps even assaulted, with a sense of past guilt. And David comes out of that and he says, he restores my soul. He banishes the shadow of my past guilt. He assures me of his forgiveness and his welcome and his love. And then for David's sake, there was the... And then uh, for David also, there was the shadow of past providences, painful events in his life that perhaps he had never really worked through or worked out ways in which his life had been marred by people or situations or disappointments. Bring that out into the open and to know that the Lord would refresh him and cleanse him and restore him. And as it were, the Lord in his grace just drawing out that poison of those past shadows. And I think many of us experience that as well. We're visited by the fact that perhaps something happened to us and we never never were able we were never able to accept it or even more perhaps we've never really been able to accept God fully and unreservedly because of it and it's out of that kind of experience that David is speaking and saying the Lord is my shepherd He restores my soul when I fall, when I fall into sin, when I fall into bitterness. He will come and he will make me new and he will restore me to his fellowship. Then you'll notice as David goes on, there's a third proposition that he places before us. Not only does the Lord supply all our needs and restores us when he falls, when, when we fall, but he says now, looking forward, the Lord is, since the Lord is my shepherd, he will guide me into the future. He will lead me into the future. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Notice the, the beautiful combination. He restores my soul from past sin and shadows and then he leads me into the future, guiding me into paths of righteousness. It's as though David were saying to us what you remember Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go, go, and sin no more. And here David is gently lifting us up from the depth of our need to say to us, the Lord is our shepherd. He has promised that he will guide us in the paths of right living for his own praise, for his own glory. And we need to understand what this means. It means that since he is our shepherd, then he desires of us that we live according to his will and according to his way, that we will follow him step by step. You remember how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2 when he speaks about Jesus as the great shepherd, having left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. And that's what David is saying. He's saying the Lord restores us 
in order to lead us step by step as we fix our eyes on him and on his word and we plant our feet where he would have us go. And you see, as he explains what this means, he tells us that this is in no way a promise of painless paths. Look at what he goes on to say. He leads me in the paths, uh, in the right paths for his namesake, even though, verse 4, those paths should take me through valleys of deepest darkness. Now that's extraordinary, but it's extraordinarily comforting that God may lead us, as he says, through the valleys of deep, deep darkness when we cannot see to the right or to the left, when we cannot see what's immediately before us or behind us, when we're liable to despair and say, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? Have you left us? David is saying, oh no. There are times in which the right paths of God's grace for your life and mine must go straight through the deepest conceivable valley of darkness. And yet at the same time, he balances this so beautifully by telling us that although this is not a promise of painless paths, it is not a threat of gloomy paths. In verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And to me, this is the most glorious thing that David is saying so long ago in the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying to us, beloved, my experience has not been that life with God is all darkness and difficulty or that it's all sunshine and light. But that it's both, and sometimes it's both together. And that leads him to the fourth thing. He says, since the Lord will lead me into the future, then notice, says David, fourthly, the Lord is my shepherd. He will surprise me with his grace. I think that was he, that's what he's really after when he says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me, where? Where is this feast happening? In the midst, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What's the picture that David is drawing upon? It's the picture of a shepherd as the host and saying to his sheep, now, Jeff, take your place here, brother. And Diane, this is where you are. Let me fill your cup. Let me give you some of this cheap food, whatever that is. Uh, it's a picture of the Lord hosting that feast. Take your place. I know the wolves are snarling all about but they are helpless to touch you. They cannot touch you. I am here. I am with you. 
I am your shepherd. I will keep you. And the sheer incongruity of that. This dates me. It makes me think of that, of that, uh, that sort of silly mustard commercial where two Rolls Royces pull up to a traffic light and one rolls down the window and, pardon me, but do you have any gray poupon? And the, the guy in the neighboring Rolls Royce, but of course, <laughs> but of course. He will surprise us with his grace, his amazing grace. That's why I like uh, the, the oddity <laughs> of this situation. And you and I know, I think, what he's talking about. You know what it is. I know what it is to have my back against the wall and be facing crises. And in your heart of hearts, you're saying, Lord, where are you? And the next day, the next week, the next month, perhaps later, only when you look back, you see that he was doing something about it all the time. He had a surprise in store for you because of his great grace. That's why we sometimes sing John Newton's great old hymn, With Salvation's Walls Surrounded. Thou mayest smile on all thy foes. The fifth thing, the Lord is my shepherd. He will safely restore me when I fall. The Lord is my shepherd. He will faithfully lead me into the future. The Lord is my shepherd. He will graciously and timely surprise me with his grace. And fifthly, lastly, the Lord is my shepherd. He will be with me now and always. And so David says in verse 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He knows that there will be plenty of opposition as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. There will be plenty of opposition. But the great thing is that there will never, ever be any separation. He says, I'll not fear because you are with me. You are with me, Lord. And that is not only true here and now, but it is true there and then. Verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But you notice that he adds, it's not only true here and now. It's not only true there and then. But it's true at every point in between. And so he says so beautifully at the beginning of verse 6, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me, literally pursue me all the days of my life. The language that he's using here is of, is of herding sheepdogs. It's almost as though he were saying, you know, God has these two great border collies. And he has sent them out to gather his flock. One of those collies is named goodness. And the other is mercy, steadfast love. 
and he will pursue his sheep all their days until they are finally and fully and consummately brought to that place of pasture with him. I think it was John Flavel who said that other men pursue good, but it flees from them, and they can never attain it. But goodness and mercy pursue the people of God, and they cannot avoid it. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, and it's only because we have been so shepherded. It is only then as we rest in the good shepherd laying down his life for us, securing our justification, our adoption into his forever family, can we, the church, assured of his everlasting care, can we minister love and acceptance and safety and grace to others, offering the gospel in word and deed, in community, that in Jesus Christ you are safe both now and forevermore. May we know, may we know our good shepherd. And may we shepherd like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the riches of your grace to us, your care. And, and may we care for others assured of our own place in your, in your great heart. Draw us nearer to you, to your grace, to your care. May we be conduits of that same security and love and grace to those in our community and even beyond. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.